Hello and welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm Josh Spector and I am your host. If you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. If you're new here, this podcast exists for a simple reason, to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered. Here's how it works. In each episode, a different guest comes on, asks me three questions. We have a 10-minute conversation about each of them, and that's it. I hopefully give you some helpful advice and tactics that you and they can use. No flop, and we'll get right into it. Today, my guest is Mark Masters. Mark lives at the beach on the south of England in a town called Poole and helps people and businesses build an audience that isn't wholly dependent on social media. He set out to prove it by building the You Are The Media community. Mark takes a human cannonball approach to test-owned media spaces and report back to the community if his experiments worked or crashed. I've known Mark for a little while and we have a lot of common contacts and network. I love what he does. I love his approach to it. I'm really happy to have you on the show. Hey, Mark, welcome. Thank you for having me on. And it's good to be here as a part of the I Want to Know and for the interested ecosystem. Step up here with you and have a little chat as we wave across the Atlantic. Yeah, there you go. So we're going to, I know Mark has some questions that I think are going to be really relevant to almost everybody that listens to the show. We're going to talk a little about audience growth. We're going to talk about community. We're also going to talk a little bit about some of the misconceptions that I think people have about those things. So let's get into it. Mark, what is the first thing you want to know? A lot of us here in terms of what we're building, in terms of creative entrepreneurship and the audiences that we build and what we can create. And it's challenging and it's fun and it's rewarding for all of us. But I'm looking at this as the utopia for all of us as we get our teeth into 2023. And it's this role that we played for others. And how do we get people to care? For instance, I see from your side, I see this role that you play as this guide that shows the path of how we build and the digital products that surround us all. And that's, I see that role that you play in people that mm-hmm. commit. How, and I'm trying to work this out in my head now, switches up yeah. your perspective. And this work that we create and we share with the big wide world is how do we get people to care? It's a great question. And it's funny. It's something that I've actually thought about a lot because I remember years ago, just thinking through my own approach and themes of my work and what I wanted it to be. There was a while, I remember even looking up domains and seeing like, is makepeoplecare.com available? Like, I remember thinking that like a big part of the crux of what I did and not just what I did, but what I viewed as a key to success in whatever you wanted to do, large or small, was you had to figure out how to make people care about what you're what you're doing. And it's actually a piece of a definition of marketing, right? In some ways, marketing is about getting people to care about whatever it is that you have to offer or whatever you're doing. So with all that said, I think the first part of my answer to you is going to maybe even run counter to all of them. And the first thing, counter to even some of my own beliefs or what I was thinking about years ago. I think the first thing you have to understand is people don't care about you, your company, your product, your service. They care about themselves. And that sounds harsh, but it's not intended as being harsh. The idea that you're going to make people care about anything is a falsehood. The real question is, how do I create things and position things and message things that are going to help people with what they already care about? Not how do I get them to care about what I do? 
And I think that's really important because I see a lot of people that are out there going, I want to make this thing. I want to write this. I want to do this. I want to do that. And then they get frustrated that nobody cares about it. I say all the time to people that, you know, you are, we can talk about newsletters as an example, write a newsletter about whatever you want. Doesn't matter. Have fun. There are no rules. Do whatever you want. But if you're doing it for yourself, you can't get frustrated if other people don't care about it. If you want people to care about it, if you want to grow an audience, if you want to make sales, if you want to do whatever it is you want to do, you have to, yes, you should do what you want and create what you want, but you can't overlook that it has to relate to what other people already care about and what they want and what they're trying to figure out. Once you shift that perspective, it actually becomes much easier because the question shifts to instead of how do I make people care, it becomes how do I figure out what people care about and how I can serve that. Has that kind of helped you when it comes to together the Sunday email? Yeah. Uh, I know my audience here. I know the things that are going to make their lives more helpful or these yep. points here for people to click and to read and to listen to and how you're flipping that to what matters to the individual and getting them to care about or to have a place in the heart about the things that we do. Yeah, absolutely. I am always thinking the term audience first gets used in a few different ways. And a lot of times it's used to like, oh, build an audience and then figure out the thing. But I mean it in terms of I'm always thinking about what do they want? How can I help them? How can I serve them? When I'm thinking about what I put in my newsletter, I'm thinking about not just will this be interesting to a person, but what can they do after they read? What action can they take? That's why you'll see so much of the stuff I share in my newsletter is actionable. There's a difference between here's how to, here's how to make a good video, have it be engaging, have it be whatever. I'm more likely to share like, here's a template you can use to create a good thumbnail for your video or whatever, like very how-to. You'll notice a lot of the headlines in my newsletter are how-to. And so I'm coming at it from... What can I give people that's going to help them get what they want as opposed to how do I convince them to want what I have? Subtle oh, difference, but really important. So this is me figuring this out. Live, yeah. We're talking about how do we get people to care. It's not necessarily about how we can force them or coach them into something. How we, like from your side, know the people, the audience we mm -hmm. serve. Because then we can make everything better for all of us. So yep. everyone can take from this pie. You serving and creating and more people stepping up and I'll have a skill session from Josh through to how what you're creating there is helpful and reliable and is worthy of people's time. Okay. I like this. Yeah. I like format. Yeah. And it's funny because you're that what you just said is leads right into sort of the next thing I was going to talk about. And because that is the next obvious question, right? Okay, so I buy into this approach, but how do I figure out what this audience even wants? So one thing I would say, I would go back to the original question of the, how do I make people care? People is a very generic word. So the first thing you want to do is what people? For me, that has become creative entrepreneurs. How do I make creative entrepreneurs care or whatever? What do they care about? Nobody, no matter what you're doing, wants general people. The questions that we all ask ourselves and how we frame them are really, really important. The more specific you get in almost any case, the better, right? And the easier it becomes. The other thing I think that's really important is you want to speak the language of the specific people that you're trying to address in your messaging. One of the big things that I see in terms of that's how you get them to care. 
you got to speak their language. If you're not speaking their language, they're not, they're not likely to care. They're not likely to understand. So one of the things I see a common mistake I see people make is let's say I'm making this up. You don't have this or do this, but let's say that you're trying to help people grow their audience and you have developed this specific approach that you come up with and your framework of how you do it. What a lot of people do is all your messaging is Mark method, Mark method, learn the Mark method, blah, 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 learn the Mark method and you'll grow your audience. No one out there is looking for the Mark method. They're looking to grow their audience. They will care about something that says that messaging about how to grow your audience, they will care about how to learn the Mark method. They don't care about because they don't know what the Mark method is. So that subtle positioning, you want to lead with what they care about in their language and say, oh, if you want to grow your audience, blah, 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 blah. The Mark method is the tactic you use to help them get what they want. It's not the thing they actually want. And you get them to care by talking about what they want. Once they care, oh, here's a guy that's going to help me grow my audience. Then you can introduce them to the Mark method as the way you help them get that. But you've already got them to care. When you lead with something they don't know, it's much tougher to make them care because they sort of tune out. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Because coming to the end of this question, it makes me realize that the way that you're talking and sharing this is that when we talk the question of how to get people to care, and the way we're talking about it is reciprocal, yeah? So we create work because we yeah. tune the people around us and they think, yeah, this is good. And then the people know that, like, for instance, you're not going to let people down. How it becomes this shared this shared approach that still be here in a year's time, five years' time, and still be relevant and fun by the work that we create. Yeah, and if this is a little of what you were saying, but if you want them to care, you have to care about them first. And I think that's really important. And if you care about them, you will learn about them and have a better sense of how to serve them. One other just quick note, and my newsletter has evolved a lot over the years, but it's interesting if you look at the name for the interested, in the name, I'm saying this is for other people. I'm not saying that this is about me. I'm saying this is for you. The name actually reflects the sort of audience first mentality that I'm talking about. The last thing I wanted to say on this that I think is, again, to the tactical, actionable piece of it, of like, okay, but how do I actually figure out what these people care about? First of all, obviously have as many one-on-one conversations as you can with people that fit your audience description. Get to know them better and you'll get a better sense of what they care about. Even if you don't have those relationships or can't talk to people, Look at what they're doing on social media. Look at what they're talking about. Look at what questions they're posting on Quora or Reddit or whatever. There's ways that you can see what people are talking about. When you do that, pay close attention to the words that they use and use those words in your messaging and address those problems in what you create. So in your mind, you might go, I'm helping people grow their audience, but you might find that your people don't actually use that term. They talk about getting more customers or more sales or more followers or whatever. So you'll start at the more people you talk to and the more you research, you'll start to see themes and phrases of how they talk about stuff. The other thing, and this is such a great, it's actually a kind of a copywriting trick, but it works really well for this too, especially if you don't have much of an audience yet, you don't have relationships with them. Go find books on Amazon that are related to the topic of your expertise and what you do and read the reviews. Those reviews are just a list of people who are likely in your target audience talking about what they found helpful or missing in those books. It's basically a cheat sheet 
to identify what people care about or are struggling with. And as an example, there's a great, have you ever heard of the book Get Together? What a great book. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fantastic book all about community. I highly recommend it. So let's say you were, you wanted to attract an audience or sell product services that are related to community. I just took a quick look at some of the reviews for the book Get Together, which are almost all great. It's interesting because a lot of times the really bad reviews are even more helpful because people are telling you what their challenges are. This one was almost all good reviews. But but even with that, I found three quotes that people had said in different reviews that are actually sort of showing me what they care about and could give me ideas for content, messaging, products, all that stuff if this was my audience. So one of them was, this is a quote from one of the reviews. It says, one of the biggest challenges I face is that the community industry is so new and dynamically evolving that I have to be creative on how I explain what I do and why it's important. They are just serving up. This is my problem. Can you help me figure this out? They're telling you what to do. Another excerpt. It says, the book empowers you with the tools needed to build a community by working with people, not for them, by talking with people, not at them and to trust them to lead that way. Things that many people, especially in people in positions of power, don't understand as they struggle to shoulder responsibility. Again, that language, right? Working with people, not for them. Talking with people, not at them. Them pointing out many people, especially in positions of power, don't understand this. It's very easy to see how that can be turned into content and messaging for whatever you're teaching people about community. And then the third one said, I'm a quite seasoned community builder myself and have a hard time finding experts or ways for me to up-level myself. Three reviews off of one book, and all of a sudden it's just, if you're in this space of helping people learn how to build and manage communities, like they're just handing you things that they care about. I love that. What uh, a simple source for content and ideas are sitting yeah. there plentifully within uh, Amazon reviews. You can do it for anything. By the way, depending what your niches. You can do it with book reviews, but you can do it with reviews for anything, right? So let's say you were you ran an auto body shop. Go look at Yelp reviews for auto body shops and you'll see a million people talking about their complaints or what they liked or whatever. And now you can speak the language of what people are looking for in an auto body shop. Really effective. So yeah, that's a short version of how you quote unquote make people care. Let's get to your second question. What is the next thing that you want to know? We see a lot around creators or as we build that sometimes we can look over our shoulder that we're seeing that it becomes a martyr how big an audience someone else has built but i understand i understand because if we say that we've got ninety-eight thousand emails yeah. and because it's it makes us look popular and mm -hmm. it makes us look worthy to commit subscribe or to buy so my question is this, do we put too much emphasis on audience size? Absolutely, 100%. Could not agree more. It's understandable why people do. Again, if not only the comparison, but there's a vanity piece, it feels good. It's, it helps you feel more confident. But yes, it is most people don't need nearly as many people as they think to accomplish their goals. And also the scope of the internet people forget. If you have 300 people watch a video, most people don't feel great about that. They f I mean, they don't, they may not feel bad. They're like, oh, I got 300 people to watch it, but it doesn't feel like whatever. 300 people is basically selling out a comedy club, which is hard to do. 
in, if in, in real life, right? So I think our perspective is so warped because we see these huge numbers. But yes, I definitely think that. But I also think it's indicative of a larger problem. So the problem is a lot of people haven't really thought through what they actually want or who they need to accomplish it. So they lack clarity. So they default to chasing followers and views and vanity metrics. But really, it's because they're not 100% clear on what they actually want to happen. They're creating content, whatever it is. They're putting stuff out there. They want email subscribers. They don't really know why. They're using 8 million different social platforms and the likes feel good. And they have this sort of general assumption that if I get more, if I just get more attention, more followers, more likes, that's going to magically build my business or get me a job or do whatever it is that I want to do. But actually, they haven't gotten clear on what that is that they're actually trying to accomplish and that these things are just tools to help them accomplish it. So let me give you an example of a conversation I've had with lots of people in lots of different ways, but I think this is a good example of it. So whenever I work with clients, I always ask them what their goal is. And oftentimes they'll say, I want more followers. I want a bigger audience, some version of that. I want more subscribers. I want whatever. So I asked a comedian I was working with what his goal was unrelated to social media. When people say that to me, I want more followers, I want more traffic or whatever, I like to remove that. So I'm like, tell me what your goal is with having nothing to do with social media or traffic or any of that. What are you actually trying to accomplish? And this comedian said to me that his goal ultimately was to get booked on a sitcom. I said, perfect. And then I asked him, I said, what do you think would be more likely to help you get booked on a sitcom? having 50,000 random people following you on Instagram or having 50 casting directors and showrunners. If the goal is to get booked on a sitcom, the casting directors and showrunners following you is gonna most likely get you closer to that than some random kid in Ohio, even if there's a lot, even if it's a much bigger audience. And once you figure that out, I told him like, your social strategy should actually be, what can I post that's gonna make showrunners and casting directors want to follow me and get their attention, even if it's only 50 people, not what's going to get random people to follow me that's not actually going to get me anywhere closer to my goal. And this comes to the next issue, which is with audience growth, which is alignment. A part of that chasing bigger numbers, it leads to a misaligned audience with what you're trying to accomplish. I've used this example before, but like I could post funny cat videos all day and I might have more followers. It's not going to get me clients. It's not going to grow my business. It's not going to do anything. And that's an extreme example, but I think it also plays out in little ways. People discover that, oh, when I'm snarky, those tweets do better. Okay, but do they, does that doing better lead to business or whatever you want? But you see a lot of people talk about like shit posting on Twitter okay, great, but what audience are you attracting? Is that the audience you want? People who love shitposting? Like, maybe it is, but in most cases, it's not. Alignment between your goal, who you need to accomplish it, what those people value, and your content or marketing is hugely important, and most people get it wrong. Can I, let me ask a quick, I just want to pick up on yeah. that. But I just want to get you to reemphasize that comment. You said, look, the audience we need... Yep. It's not as big. It's not as big. It just, yeah. 
That huge Twitter growth, that looks lovely, but it only looks lovely to your sense at the end of the day. I just need to Yeah, and again, always has to be rooted in what you're actually trying to accomplish outside of these platforms. And it's interesting, if you think about historically, again, setting aside the vanity piece of, yeah, it feels good to have more people like you or whatever. Setting that aside, the concept that, or the assumption that more is better is actually rooted in a media economy that is advertising drip, that is selling based on number of impressions. But if your business is not selling advertising, that number of impressions is basically meaningless. And most businesses are not selling advertising. Most businesses are selling products, services, whatever. You need you need people that are going to, there might be an assumption, if I have more followers, I sell more of my products. Eh. It depends who those followers are. Yes, you want more of the right followers, but a lot of people are operating in niche areas where you're never going to have that many followers. I could do a really good thread about writing a newsletter. That thread, no matter how good it is, is not going to go as viral as a thread about like how to be a good dad. There's just way fewer people. And I think you see people on Twitter looking at people who, oh, this guy's threads are huge. And they got, most of those people are talking about pretty broad topics. And so if you're not in a broad topic, which in most cases you probably are not and probably shouldn't be, like you should be in a more specific niche, that virality isn't going to get, even if I, let's say I did a thread about how to be a great dad and it went viral. So what? Those people aren't creative entrepreneurs, most of them. That virality is meaningless. And it's interesting. One of the things that that I've noticed is I have tons of people ask me how they can get more followers. I've never had anyone ask me how they can get the right followers. And more followers is meaningless if it's not the right, if it's not the right ones. I can say how did the first question in this one links? So we're talking about how mm-hmm. you care. And this thing about being led by size and scale. But what we're just talking about here is that the answer to all this all. To all that is how we create the right work for the right people so they stay and we're we're still here. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it all is rooted in what you're unrelated to sort of social media or content or audience growth. What are you ultimately trying to do? If you're a consultant or you're a business, whatever, let's say you're a logo designer. So you need 120 people a year. You don't need a million followers. You don't need 100,000 email subscribers. You can only work with 120 of them. So it's like, and that's a lot, 120, right? So you have a lot of people that are like, I had a conversation with somebody and I was like, what does really success look like? What are you building towards? And he's, I'd like to have three monthly retainer clients who do a year at a time, sign up for a year with me. Yeah. He's looking for three people. It doesn't matter if he has 20,000 Twitter followers. You need three people. If you have 100 Twitter followers and six of them want to hire you, you have a waiting list and you're in demand. You're killing it with 100 Twitter followers. That's the perspective you need to have. You need to come from what you ultimately want. Sorry, this gives me, I mean, this makes it interesting. That these media frameworks that are around us all, the way that they've been built for generations and the way that education and the way that was being programmed into us from college and growing up and being in business and really... When we're here to fight and we're here to build our own corners, it's just, it's an approach to realize there's plenty of us to go around at the end of the day, huh? concentrating on, on, on the role that we serve for the right people 
and just come back to it time and time again. Yeah, and remembering, and this is also part of what causes the confusion, the platform's goals are not necessarily aligned with your goal. The platform would love you to have 100,000 followers. They don't get anything from you getting six clients. So the platform is incentivizing, try to get more, try to get more. We're going to say, you don't get a notification when you get a client. I know they can't possibly do that. But if you think about the mindset, you get a notification every time you get a like and every time you get a follower and every time you get a whatever, right? But you don't get a notification for the metrics that actually matter for you. Again, I, the big thing is remembering that these are tools you're using to accomplish a goal. They're not a goal in and of themselves. So with that, let's get to your third question. What's the next thing you want to know? Oh, this is good. I'm enjoying it. So where we were, this though, what view we were there on strategy. We were looking at mindset. This one comes mm -hmm. around. It's all around contentment. And it's, it's probably an area where no one really picks up and talks about because we're following this path we're on and we're getting people on board and subscribers and people joining in. Listen, I see your side, like even under Christmas. The new network was there. The right. Joe, first week back in January, we're all luggish. We don't want to get back to work. And here is a thing for all of us that you keep going, you show up. Mm. But in enjoyment, an underrated skill. Yeah, I love this question because I think, first of all, let me say, yes, absolutely, enjoyment is an underrated skill. I love this question because it touches on something that I think is probably not talked about enough. There's so much out there about this hack and this tip and how to do this and how to get more sales and copywriting and all this stuff. But people really overlook the basic importance of enjoying what you do and how much that can amplify your success, your consistency, your commitment, your whatever. And if you're not enjoying what you're doing, how much that can work against you in everything that you're doing and how much harder it makes everything. I have a sort of core belief that you can be good at a lot of things. You can only be great at something that you really like to do right? Or in this case, to use your word, something that you enjoy doing. And I see a lot of people, and I've been this person at times in the past, who they see an opportunity. They're like, I could do that. I could run Facebook ads. There's money there. I could get clients. I could, But I don't love doing it. They fall into the trap a little bit of their own success. Just because you're able to do something doesn't mean you should do it. And I've learned over the years to try to really assess and focus more on, do I enjoy doing that? Do I want to do that? Even when I started this podcast, initially I was like, all right, I'm going to do 12 episodes. I'm going to do an episode a week for three months and then we'll see. I don't know if I'm going to like this or not. And about halfway through, I was like, oh, I'm liking this. Forget. I was originally going to do like a season model and have season one. I was like, oh, I'm liking this. Let's just keep going. But if I didn't, if I was like, it's going well, but I don't love doing it, I don't think I would have kept doing it because I would know that ultimately it's only going to be so good if I'm not excited about doing it. And then another piece of this that I think is just as important in terms of enjoyment is you have to enjoy the work, not just the results of the work. And I see a lot of people who are like, I love the money I'm getting. I love the lifestyle. I love the whatever. But do you actually enjoy the work? My newsletter, which I've published every week for 300 and whatever, 42 weeks or something like that in a row, is actually not hard for me to do because I like writing it. I enjoy actually writing the newsletter. 
And I think that's why I don't even really, it never even really occurs to me that I'll miss a week or not do it. Like you said, oh, it came out on Christmas and it came out on New Year's. Like I didn't even really think about it. It's like, I like doing it. And so when you find things that you like doing, that makes everything and especially consistency significantly easier. And I thought there's a, I have a good sort of example or story to share that from my own life that I think exemplifies this. So once upon a time, before I was even really into social media or any of this stuff, I was a journalist covering the movie industry and somewhere along the line decided I wanted to be a screenwriter. I love movies. I was a writer, et cetera. Taught myself how to write screenplays, started writing them, got decent at it, had a script that almost got sold, was working with an agent. So like I was making some progress, right? I was quote unquote doing good, but it was always a struggle for me to sit down and write it. Like I had a hard time just doing the work, right? And I and what I think I came to realize eventually was that I loved the idea of being a screenwriter, the working for myself, the having my own schedule, the being able to be creative, being able to write whatever I want. Like the it, it seemed wow, this because at that time I was working nine to five jobs before. And I was like, that seemed like this would be great. But the actual writing was a slog. And around that time, I started doing social media stuff on the side. I started blogging. And whereas the screenwriting, it was hard for me to get myself to sit down and work on the screenplay. The other stuff, it was hard for me to stop. I found that I just loved it and I was doing it. And I I had this realization of I don't love the work of writing screenplays. I clearly love the quote unquote work of blogging and social media and all of this stuff. When you find yourself in that situation, even if I hadn't found the social media stuff, I think that what you want to do is you want to think about what are the elements of this thing that I do like. And you want to try lots of new stuff and try to find things that have more of the things you do, less of the things that you don't like. And the irony is, and this by no means was like deliberate and strategic, it's just my journey and where I've ended up. What's interesting is I've ended up in a place where the irony of my work now is that in many ways, I lead a screenwriter's life. I'm my own boss. I control my own schedule. I'm using my writing and creative skills. I'm writing and serving an audience. I can write whatever I want, but I don't, but the quote unquote work has changed where I'm not forcing myself to write screenplays that I'm, for whatever reason, I'm not enjoying the work. I'm doing the work that I actually enjoy. So it's come full circle, but I think that's the key. I've seen like, that's a very specific example for me of where I saw the difference between enjoying the work and not, re- you know, and it being a struggle. I think got- to your point that that's a skill. And I think I'm picking up this as well that we're talking about here. Is this enjoyment comes? You said that the audience perhaps saw that it was this mistake Boxing Day or whatever it is during the festive period. But here's the thing that we're talking about, and I guess it's the, for all of us: it's you've started something that you can't stop. Do you know what I mean? It's like wealth of information and good stuff out there that you share. You can't, and you said, I didn't know I was sending over Christmas, is that you found this, it's this ability for all of us to find something that cannot stop. And it just, yeah. that there could be this commercial return out there. But when you look beyond that commercial space and what we take, is this way that, wow, we can find a space that, that we know that the audience is there. We don't want to stop. 
Yeah. And it's also, you can also ask yourself like, look, the truth is if I won the lottery tomorrow, I'd still send my newsletter. Would don't just say that, Josh. You'd be going to that. I, no, I, because I like because I like doing it. And again, that's the other thing I should say is because I feel like I'm guessing now, but I feel like a lot of people will listen to this. And I know there's because I've had conversations with them, and I know there's a lot of people that are like, "Oh, you're lucky. You know what you're passionate about. You found it. You found that." I have no idea what I enjoy. And I don't want people to feel like this is not a sort of God-given gift or bill. Oh, I know what I enjoy. And so I'll just go do that. I think it's really important to a couple of things to point out here as caveats to this. Number one, I'm 47 years old. I've had a million different jobs. I've done a million different things, both on my own and as a career, right? I had a 20 plus year full-time career where I worked in all sorts of different jobs before I went on my own as a sort of creative entrepreneur. So the idea that like I woke up, came out of college and was like, I'm just going to do the thing I enjoy forever. That is not how it works. But I think what's important is for people that are like, what I'm not sure what I enjoy, how do I figure it out? You need to do things and you need to do a lot of things and you need to not be tied to the results of those things. My newsletter at the beginning was not what my newsletter is now. It wasn't, in my opinion, as good. It wasn't as specific. It didn't have as many subscribers, but that didn't matter. What mattered was the work. Like, do I like doing this? Am I learning something? Do I find this? Do I find this interesting? And I think setting out to do stuff and understanding that there's a lot of value in being able to figure out that you don't enjoy something and crossing it off the list. I think a lot of times people are, they get paralyzed. They're afraid to go, I don't know what I enjoy, so I don't want to go do this thing because I think I might not enjoy it. That's the wrong attitude. I'd be like, no, you want to go do that. And if you find out you don't enjoy it, awesome, because you can cross that off and you'll be like, I didn't like X, Y, and Z about this. So I don't want to go do that. That is all valuable information. And I think it's very easy. I hear from people all the time that are not sure what they want or what they enjoy, and they get stagnant as a result. I don't want to get stuck doing that. What if it doesn't work? I'm where I don't know what to do. And it's like making a choice, taking a step in any direction is always better than just sitting put. Maybe to your point, I, that's why I love the question, because I love the framing of enjoyment as a skill. And if we take that, no one assumes they have the skill right off the bat. Yeah. Skills are developed and learned. So if you actually think about enjoyment as a skill, you're more likely to go, how do I develop enjoyment for something? Oh, just like any skill, I have to practice. I have to make mistakes. I have to learn. I have to try things. That, I think, which again, all credit to you, because I never really thought of enjoyment as a skill before you asked that question. But I think it's really helpful because I think most people don't think of it as a skill that they develop. I think they think of it as a natural thing that they have or don't have. And if they don't know what they enjoy, they go, oh, I don't have it. I guess I'm screwed. I'll just have to forever do work that I don't care about. Yeah, it's just these independent paths that we create, particularly with creative entrepreneurs. And what we, to be lucky and fortunate that we can do this is spent by our own curiosity. And as you said, I, the way that this, the newsletter is today is a lot different than it was a few years ago. But there has to be a post to all this and the reason why that goes beyond, we have to find our niche and we have to understand yeah. it. And it's, 
this this is what keeps us at the wheel and keeps us at the table. And it has to be yeah. enjoying. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for the great questions, which also made me think about some things that I haven't thought about before. So tell people where they can check you out, where they can find more of your stuff, where they can become part of you or we are the media, depending on their perspective. Thank you very much. It's lovely to spend some time with you today. Yeah. 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 Listen, come to uh, uh, You Are The Media. Okay. And if you go to the bottom of the page there, leave your email address and then come and get the weekly email every Thursday. Cool. And for me, again, the best place to start is my newsletter for theinterested.com slash subscribe. You also might want to check out my skill sessions. There's one in particular that if you like this episode, you might find helpful called the niche definer, which helps you find your niche. You can check those out at joshspector.com slash sessions. Consulting, if you'd like to talk to me about coaching or consulting, go to joshspector.com slash consulting. I'm on Twitter all the time at jspector. And if you would like to come on this podcast and ask me some questions, go to joshspector.com slash questions and you can apply and hopefully we'll be on here chatting just like Mark and I were. Mark, thanks so much for coming on. It was great to catch up with you as well. Everyone who's listening and watching, I will see you next week.